We are starting another Lenten homily series, something I like to do each year and I've been doing for many years as a priest, as a means to go deeper during Lent into a relevant topic for us as Christians, trying to get closer to God. This year's series will be proofs for God's existence or evidence or clues for God's existence. Why this theme this year? A recent Pew research research study found that among millennials, so we're talking about the younger adult generation, who identify as having no faith, 49% of them say that their unbelief in the existence of God is directly related to their belief in science. Science, for them, trumps faith. Science equals facts. Religion is about faith. They believe in only what they can, can be tested or verified, put through the gauntlet of the scientific method. In short, we have many in our younger generation who think that they cannot believe in God because of science. Therefore, one of the things I hope to demonstrate in this homily series is that many people who choose science, number one, may not even be aware of what science is actually teaching today. And number two, may not be aware of what is revealed by God through our Christian faith is actually verifiable by science today. Simply showing that science and faith are actually, if you will, two lungs of the same one body, searching for the same truth. And breathing with both lungs will get us there much quicker than just breathing with one. But more closely to home, some of you, as parishioners, probably know people close to you. People you love and are concerned about, who are struggling with a belief in God's existence, or even maybe are now professing atheism or agnosticism. And these are people maybe that you raised up in your own families. Their struggles are real, and you want to help them, but you may not know how. It is my hope this series can help you help them and help them help themselves. So I want to propose to all of you that we all, all of us, no matter where we are, take on one common Lenten intentions, no matter what else you're going to choose. Think of some people during, before Lent begins, in your life, who are struggling with their belief in God. Resolve to pray for them throughout the season of Lent. Furthermore, fast for them. Make sacrifices for them. Whatever you are going to give up for Lent, offer the intentions of your Lenten spiritual exercises and prayers for them. Don't waste this Lent by doing nothing. Let's all do something different this year by doing something together this year. Bringing our loved ones and friends to the Lord in this way. Along these lines, invite them to Mass with you for the season of Lent, starting this Ash Wednesday. Invite them to come with you to Mass so that they not only hear these homilies and ponder them, but while they're here, you can lift them up in prayer to the Lord. 
And they can be in an environment where God can not only reach their minds, but in this sacred space, maybe reach their hearts too. Planting seeds and trusting in God's grace to water them. Keep in mind too that all these Lenten homilies, like all the homilies, will be recorded. And you and they can access them on the homepage of our parish website. You can listen to them as much as you'd like and need to in order to learn to help people in your life struggling with a belief in God. And they can do the same. They can listen to them as much as they like. This Lenten homily series will address some of their reasons, maybe some of your reasons, for not believing or struggling in a belief in God with proofs or arguments or clues for the existence of God. The resources and research for this homily series was inspired by Father Robert Spitzer, a Jesuit priest who is a priest and scientist, and uh, perhaps the 21st century's foremost expert in the philosophy of science, and who has spent years demonstrating how faith and science work together in their common search for truth. You can access many of his articles, books, audios and videos at magiscenter.com. It's a website that he runs for answers on faith, science, and reason. Additionally, because he has so much material in this area, I utilize other resources that can be more focused, knowing that these homilies are not dissertations, and therefore they need to be concise, while steeped in solid scientific research. The order of the homilies is as follows. Today, God and science. And then on Ash Wednesday, evidence of a soul. And then the following weekend, the Big Bang theory, the evolution theory, Christianity, and science. And then the following weeks, God and philosophy, evil and suffering, actually point to the existence of God rather than the opposite. And all you need is one miracle to prove life beyond the natural realm. We're going to look at that. And then finally, the Eucharist and the case for Christ. Let's begin today with this first homily. Science makes the case for God. And today's second reading from St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 3, which we just heard, St. Paul states, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you considers himself wise in this age, let him become a fool so as to become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in the eyes of God. When it comes to a belief in God, what has been the prevailing wisdom of this world in the past, let's say, 60 years or so? Well, for some, it's this. God does not exist. And we know this because science tells us Most especially when we look at the creation of the universe and the possibility of life on other planets. The wisdom of this world is, I believe in science and the facts. Not God and not what cannot be seen with the eye and tested by the scientific method. Okay. In 1996, Time magazine ran a cover story asking, is God dead? Many have accepted the cultural narrative that he's obsolete. That as science progresses, there is less need for God to explain the universe. 
Yet it turns out that the rumors of God's death were premature. More amazing is that the relatively recent case for his existence comes from a surprising place, science itself. Here's the story. That same year, 1966, Time featured the now famous headline. The famous scientist and astronomer Carl Sagan announced that there are two important criteria for a planet to support life. The right kind of star and a planet the right distance from that star. Given the roughly octillion, that's one followed by 27 zeros, planets in the universe, there should have been about septillion, one in, followed by 24-0, planets capable of supporting life. With such spectacular odds, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, or SETI, launched in the 1960s a large, expensive collection of private and publicly funded projects. Something was sure to show up soon. Scientists around the world listened with the vast radio telescope network for signals that resembled coded intelligence and were not merely random. But as the years passed, the silence from the rest of the universe was deafening. Congress ended up defunding SETI in 1993. But the search continues with private funds. As of 2014, researchers have discovered precisely bupkis. One followed, I mean zero, followed by zero. Not a single planet able to support life. What happened? As our knowledge of the universe increased, it became clear that there were far more factors necessary for life than Carl Sagan originally supposed. His two parameters grew to 10, and then to 20, and then to 50. And so the number of potentially life-supporting planets decreased accordingly. The number dropped to a few thousand planets and kept plummeting. Even SETI proponents acknowledged the problem, like scientist Peter Schenkel wrote in a 2006 piece in Skeptical Inquirer magazine, Quote, this is what he said, in light of new findings and insight, it seems appropriate to put excessive euphoria to rest. We should quietly admit that the early estimates may no longer be tenable, unquote. As factors continued to be discovered, the number of possible planets hit zero and kept going. In other words, the odds turned out against any planet in the universe supporting life, including this one. Probability said that even we should not be here. Today, there are more than 200 known parameters identified this by the scientific community and reaching consensus necessary for a planet to support life, every single one of which must be perfectly met or the whole thing falls apart. For instance, for us, without a massive planet like Ju Ju Jupiter nearby, whose gravity will draw away asteroids thousand times as many would hit Earth's surface, and we never would have had life here. The odds against life in the universe are simply astonishing. 
Yet here we are, not only existing, but talking about existing. What can account for it? Can every one of those many parameters have been perfect by accident? At what point is it fair to admit that science suggests that we cannot be the result of random forces? Doesn't assuming that a superintelligence created these perfect conditions require less faith than believing that a life-sustaining earth just happened by chance to beat the inconceivable odds to come into being? There's more. The fine-tuning for life to exist on a planet is nothing compared with the fine-tuning required for the universe to exist at all. For example, astrophysicists now know that the values of the four fundamental forces of the universe, they are gravity, electromagnetic force, and the strong and negative nuclear forces, that they were determined less than one millionth of a second after the Big Bang. Alter any one value and the universe could not exist. For instance, if the ratio between the strong nuclear force and the electromagnetic force had been off by the tiniest fraction of the tiniest fraction, precisely by even one part of 100 quintillion, then no stars would have ever formed at all. Feel free to gulp here. Multiply that single parameter by all the other necessary conditions and the odds against the universe existing are so heart-stoppingly astronomical that the notion that it just happened defies common sense. It would be like tossing a coin up in the air and having it come down on its head ten quadrillion times in a row. Really? Fred Hoyle. Sir Fred Hoyle. He's an astronomer and he spent most of his time at the Institute of Astro Astronomy in England at the Universe University of Cambridge. He was the type of mind that a, a, a generation or two ago that, uh, uh, that um, uh, Richard, Hawk, um, Richard Dawkins and, and Hawking are today. He was very, as a scientist, very, very um, anti-God. Before he died in 2012, he's also the man early on who coined the term Big Bang. Uh, he's, before he died, this, he said his atheism was greatly shaken by these developments. And before he died in 2001, um, this is what he wrote. A common sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a super intellect has fiddled with the physics as well as with the chemistry and biology and everything else. The, number one, the numbers one calculate from the facts seem to me so overwhelming as to put this conclusion almost beyond question. And what conclusion is that? God exists. And God designed and created the universe and holds it all in being. Theoretical physicist Paul Davies has said that, quote, the appearance of design is overwhelming. And Oxford professor John, Dr. John Lennox has said, quote, the more we get to know about the universe, the more the hypothesis that there is a creator and sustainer 
gains in credibility as the best explanation of why we are here and why we are still here. Unquote. 2,000 years ago, St. Paul said that the wisdom of this age is foolishness compared to God. Well, with the recent advances in science, it now appears that our foolishness is finally catching up with God's wisdom. And now, even humanity's greatest scientific minds and all their research are recognizing science and faith are not at odds when it comes to explaining the creation and the existence of the universe. In fact, finally, science has caught up with what religion has known and been taught all along through the revelation of God. 